The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I am your host, Rob Vera, joined by my co-host, as always, Mark Mosey. And this week we have brought on a third. I know I feel I feel like Kate. We have not been as uh, consistent about this. It's mainly because Mark wants to do this late night recording shtick of his, uh, so that he can drink all through the episode oh, wow. or something like that. So, luckily, we were able to get him on a little earlier today, so that uh, we could have a third person join us at the the regular time. It's Kate Riley James. Cage, welcome back. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm. Um, I feel like I sound hungover. I'm just tired, though. I feel. Well, maybe I feel like country, I should. The whole country's hungover. Maybe the whole I should country. be hungover. I don't feel as if I properly went for it. But then, like a lot of people, I had to get up and get smaller people to school, etc. This morning, and I had a dental appointment at midday, so that was fun. So yeah. Ooh, but nice. you know, I mean, it could be worse. <laughs> Was it a dental appointment where they gave you the good stuff or was it no. a dental appointment that was less fun than that? It was rubbish. I was having a, a crown put back in, which fell out the week after lockdown started in March last year. Oh, my God. I feel like I've been hearing, uh, I forget who was saying this in one of my chats, that getting a dentist appointment over there right now has been really, really difficult. Yeah. Why is that? Well, they, they closed over... Well, for the majority of the of the lockdown, really. Coincidentally, unless you've got money, in which case they were open all, all you know, twenty four twenty four seven. And obviously, it works differently over here in that we, you know, private healthcare isn't. Well, we have our wonderful NHS, but right. um, yeah, uh, it's been really difficult. And obviously, the minute that there's um, a suspected outbreak, then that means it wipes out most of the dental staff. You know, and and it just means then that everything has to roll over. But with our particular dentist, he's um, also uh, involved in um, like lecturing or teaching, so he's not always there. Um, you know, and it's just really frustrating. But um, yeah, I should have had it done months ago. But then I needed root canal, and obviously that was more important. So yeah, I've been committed to fix a denting my seven hundred pound crown back in every day for the last eighteen months. Oh, what a day to be alive! 
Rob, you should know by now that only elements of the economy that involve alcohol have been prioritized. Yeah. <laughs> if it involves food and or drink, then it has been rushed back into normality. But healthcare is is really not something that, that yeah. we're pushing at the moment. But we'll, we'll see where we get in the next few years. Yeah, yeah. Well, jeez. Oh, I, yeah. I feel like I could go down a rabbit hole where I ask questions like, so what do dentists do when uh, no one can have appointments? Are they just out playing golf or do they get, uh, is someone paying them anything? Are they out on the streets busking for, for you know, spare change or what's the deal? Anyway, I don't want to go down that rabbit <laughs> hole. Um, okay. You know, Kate, I'm glad you're on because I feel like, I mean, look, you know how it is with Mark. It's just going to be, he's so sportsy. <laughs> All he wants to talk about is like golf and tennis and oh. any Tory sport you can come up with, you know. So I, it is so nice having having you back on just to kind of break break that up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Did you catch the croquet? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was the polo match on the television this this weekend. Jolly good. <laughs> that, that's, not, that's not too far removed from Wimbledon, so we we can go we can go full circle later on and come back to that. Oh. Rob. I didn't I didn't watch a second of Wimbledon, but if you'd asked me who's gonna win Wimbledon before, I'd probably be like, hmm. I can remember like in terms of the 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 men, I know like three tennis players, and I would have guessed that one of them would win would be Jokovic, and he did. Hmm. Yes. And if you're asking me about the women, I would have been like, well, I think Osaka's not even in it right now. And and if it's not Serena Williams, then I, I, I'm i I'm out. It's going to be some Russian yeah. with a lot of consonants in her last name. He's probably going to win the whole thing or something. So, I, you know, I don't know. But look, guys, I, let's let's just stop delaying it. Uh, let's talk about the Euros. I, I got to I, I want to know how. You know, real English people, which allegedly you guys are real English people, uh, feel today. Uh, Mark, so Kate, I want to start with you because Mark said to me, we were talking about this last week, that no matter what anyone says and however cool anyone tries to act about not caring about the England, <laughs> about the England team, when he said, I think, and Mark, tell me if I'm characterizing this correctly, but you basically said that no matter what anyone says, this country is insane for this for this football yeah. for, for the for the the national team, and it just it is what it is. And so I imagine that as you guys as we as it kept going on, and and you know England weren't allowing any goals, and they just kind of kept squeezing through it. And it it did. I have to admit, it sort of felt like from afar that there was this kind of team of destiny sort of thing going on. But I will admit that. Italy also gave off those vibes during the tournament as well at times. So I, I don't really know. I, I don't know really if I had any better ability to predict it, but I guess I just thought, all right, they're in London. They've had all these games at home. You know, it's, it, it's just, it just felt like, and, and even when we went into the shootout yesterday, I thought, well, look, if, if there is a theory behind Jordan Pickford, it is that this is what he is best at. Am I right? And and I'll be damned. He delivered. He did his part. And yet here we are today. Um, Kate, we'll talk about the actual result in terms of like how you guys feel. And then we'll talk about England fans and what that looks like uh, after that because I have questions about that. But Kate, how – I know you got. I think 
I think you got into this a little bit. Uh, tell me, tell me how you were feeling yesterday when it was all happening, and how you're feeling today. Yeah, yeah, our full Sunday was all built around the game, as I think it will probably have been for most people, regardless of even if you sat on the fence. I still think that, you know, around the seven o'clock mark, you were probably like, oh, OK, right. You know, that's the uh, that's the, you know, the, the warm up to the game started. And, you know, you probably have a couple of bevs in or you'd maybe have time to nip the shop. It's just one of those things that was always in your mind on like Sunday evening. It was happening. Um, so, yeah, we, we chanced it um, and um, had a barbecue yesterday afternoon. Um, it, like just as in like us and the kids. So it was no, no big thing. Didn't have like half the street in. Um, and for, actually, we've not been we get behind like most things in our street. They, they tend to kind of like go for it with flags and all that kind of stuff. Nothing. So it was almost kind of like England ambivalence, even though you could hear a pin drop like from eight o'clock the minute it kicked off. Um, so yeah, it was just a, you know, it was, I just think after the last game, everything, I think from Wednesday, you know, everything has been built around eight o'clock on Sunday evening, really one way or another, whether it's subconscious or otherwise. Um, and, it, you know, conversations with the kids started on Saturday. So, you know, tomorrow when the football's on, are we allowed to stay up? And then it becomes more of an occasion. And then there's chats in like in WhatsApp groups with other moms and stuff. You're like, have you heard that this, the school has said they can go in at half 10? And it's like, what? It's just a football game. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it reached all all corners of you know kind of like normal conversation really with with anybody and everybody seems to have a have something to say about it um so yeah you know like to the point where we finished the barbecue up because we knew the weather was going to turn and then it came to seven o'clock and rather than sit through the nerves of the build-up we just started playing stupid ball games in the back garden with the kids to try and pass the time <laughs> yeah, and then it was right. like right quarter to eight everyone get inside um, <laughs> you know and you know again they lasted until half time which was probably enough and then my, my lovely little nine-year-old jumped up this morning and went mom did we win just like oh no are you serious you had to deliver that news yeah. well you know what it's 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 your kid's fault anyway if they can't, <laughs> if they can't hang in there for the game then you know that's they can't be mad at you for delivering them bad yeah. news. <laughs> the nine and six-year-old um yeah they ko'd at half time and then i was up yeah. with with ali who's 15 and when it came to the penalties we woke them up because i jumped Ooh. up and just like knocked everything across the living room <laughs> um so yeah you know it it got us and it like it it was emotional and like you know i've always been i've probably been the first to criticize jordan pickford over the years to be fair just because i, I feel that the way that he's been portrayed in the media at times and the kind of like, you know, lad kind of like loves a few pints, you know, lad from the Northeast, et cetera. I felt detracted from his professionalism at times. And I'm talking a few years ago, but watching yeah. it yesterday, you think he was my firstborn. <laughs> 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 yes, Jordan, like, like probably going for it. Um, yeah. and, like, and have how, you know, of how proud, um, you know, that they've made us and that connection of, of like of making you kind of feel like more of an Evertonian really whilst we're in the off season. And, you know, it kind of, it was like a bit of ownership, you know, he, he's ours. He's not only the England number one, you know, he's ours and he's mustered and he's proved it on a, you know, on an international stage. Um, mm. And I, I, my heart broke for him because it's, yeah. it, it must just feel like such a lot of responsibility as well. You know, obviously as well as the, the lads actually taking the penalties, but I, I, I had, was he rumored to take a penalty at some point? He, he was apparently putting himself forward for it. Incredible. Judging by media reaction today, I, I imagine of, of all of those 11 players still on the pitch, most of them, including Pickford, would yeah. have been willing to take a penalty. Yeah. So much of the narrative has been, you know, experienced England players bottling penalties. And of that. course. Yeah. Allowing children to go up and take them for them. I was like, it, yeah. stop exaggerating that moment. But yeah. 
I think that's, on the man- that's on the manager, though, clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and he, he to, to his credit, um, always says the right thing. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a great guy, Gareth Southgate, but he, he came out and, I mean, rightly or wrongly, in my opinion, took responsibility. I mean, mm. getting England to a final is not something that you have to negatively come out it, and Yeah, exactly. In my eyes, but... Yeah, I think the the interesting word you mentioned, Kate, is ownership, um, and that that's probably it, it's one reason why I, I find it very hard to get invested from a from a footballing point of view when it comes to international football. Is that I they're, they're not my players. Um, Everton players, in a way, emotionally belong to me. I I, I will feel their moments of joy. I, I will I will share in their comedic levels of disappointment. Um, but Jordan Pickford was was the one time for me that I felt that I could connect with this tournament really and to be honest it was just from my point of view it was just get him out of there from a damage limitation point yeah. of view yeah just I don't want him to right. let a penalty squirm under him yeah yeah penalty because he he is the the, the ready ready made fall guy for anything negative that happens with this team unfortunately and I think for, for him to perform was was quite important not only from you know on on the night as an Evertonian and getting things thrown at me around the pub in Manchester because I'm an Evertonian and if Jordan Pickford lets one in that it is indirectly my fault. Your but, fault. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, just just for him and his progression going forward as well. I think Evertonians know how well he has played for the last six months. But I think if you ask the collective footballing nation about what his last two seasons have, have been like, they say permanently dreadful uh, and it, it hasn't been like that as much as he has had low spells but yeah I, I mentioned that I watched the game in Manchester it was on a on a friend's stag do which obviously over here Rob I, I hope it's the same over there with bachelor parties and that you you pretty much spend the entire two days trying to ruin the life of the groom to be and um, so the the fancy dress element of this weekend was to put the uh, the groom in a small men's Italy shirt for, for oh. the entire Sunday. Um, he, he was given the lyrics to the Italian national anthem, which we expected him to learn and stand up in front of the telly in the pub and sing when it was on. Um, so that, that was a this, this whole vibe that you guys have over there, where the purpose of the yeah. stag do, what we call a bachelor party here, is. Sounds almost more like an initiation where the purpose is to humiliate the subject as much as possible. Whereas like my bachelor party, it was my friends being the nicest to me they've ever been in my entire life Yeah, and buying me drinks and buying me bottles of really expensive drink and wishing me well. Uh, but, you know, who am I to uh, try to impose my weird cultural values on any of you? Um, it, it sounds yeah. like you guys have got it figured out. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, what a, what a backdrop to have your, your, well, can I ask this really quick? Is stag do the word that is used all over England, or is that just a scouse? No, it's thing? the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. Okay. So, what? A, but what a party frat party behavior is what you probably like it to. <laughs> yeah, That's fair enough. Sure. But I mean, what a backdrop to have your 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 stag do is is the you know England being in the final of a major tournament. Um, I don't, so, what was the vibe yesterday for you guys? I was curious about this. Because I ended up missing the first just few minutes of the game. And, of course, I then have missed England's only – you know, I missed the, the Luke Shaw goal. How 
because we inevitably always make it about ourselves, Mark, you were just talking about ownership and such. How Louis Saha 2009 FA Cup final did that early goal feel for England (laughs) to you? Because that's exactly, that was my first thought was they scored too quickly. And unless they make it to, unless they score a second one in this first half, they're going to rue that they scored that goal because there is this, and I know it maybe doesn't make logical sense, but there's always this thing where I think when you score early, especially when, and we'll get on to Gareth Southgate here in just a minute, but he is risk averse. He plays a very conservative style. And when it works, there's a narrow path to it working, but when it works, it works. And that's great. But the question was always asked, what would England do if they got down? Uh, And they answered that really well against Denmark. But I don't know that it's kind of an odd question to ask, what would England do if they got up one nil early, like super early? Mm-hmm. Would it create would it have them basically going into a shell and it and, and and trying to allow, you know, just trying to protect that one goal lead for in this case, what, 90 or it would have before extra time, it would have been like another 85, 86 minutes. So what was your feeling when that goal went in? Uh, like you're happy, but at the same time, isn't there a part of you that was thinking, oh my God, this is just a little early in the game? <laughs> I think England have got a little bit more pedigree and quality than Everton. So it wasn't quite There wasn't quite the, I, I think part, part of supporting a domestic team to the extent that we do means that you absolutely know what every one of those players is thinking when they score, and it's outright fear. Whereas I think the the, the selling point of this England team was to to suggest that these young players have no fear. Mm. Um, and as as much as that sounds cliche, that that is very much the impression that that you got watching England. Um, that there was no doubt in my mind that they were capable of avoiding implosion. Which, to be fair, they did. I know that they lost the tie, but by the finest of margins. Um, the, the thing that made it a little bit similar to, to that particular game, Rob, is just the quality of the opposition. Uh, and I think Italy are, you know, that they are in that echelon of teams at world level, like Germany and Brazil, who are just seasoned winners. They, they don't particularly have to be playing great football. They don't have to have their best squad in the last 10 or 15 years, but they they... They know the particular moment whereby they have you. And I think at, at the start of extra time, when they w- were running down the clock and their fans were in the stand actually celebrating the time ticking on because they knew that for every passing moment it got to a really big key defining moment, they they have the edge because they've they've been there and done that. And I think from from Gareth Southgate and England's point of view. The major positive that you have to take going into a World Cup in just 18 months' time is that what you have experienced now in this tournament will surely count for mm. your progression into into the latter rounds of the World Cup. And I think time will tell. I think you'll probably have the same manager. From an England point of view, they'll probably have exactly the same squad because the, the World Cup is so close and their squad is so young. Um, so that, that, will, that will hopefully count for something. But... Yeah, I, th- I think I think with Everton, and when typically we watch Everton games with Everton fans, I would say, um, so it, you all have that collective sense of misery when you score that early goal because you know 
that bad things are to come. And I think that the difference for me watching that England game and, and certainly going out to a club and watching it is that the, the naivety of fans to buy into moments of joy like that and not knowing what is around the corner was <laughs> a new experience. Celebrating your team, your team scoring like it's a good thing was really strange. <laughs> so, and I think that yeah. in the in the same breath, when when Italy came back into it, it was it was some eternal shock. Like I, I can't believe right. that this has happened. Whereas, obviously, from an Everton point of view, if we score one nil early on in a big game. Taking a point is not the worst thing in the world. That's just how we are. That's just how we're managed. That'll do. <laughs> I also realise that, I mean, this is going to sound incredibly, you know, pathetic from a football and fan point of view, but watching England games is painful for me because it attracts people who know absolutely nothing about the sport. <laughs> it was... So, so, and I, I sit in the park end, guys. I hear some terrible things shouted at football matches, but what, watching people try to convince everyone else around them that they have some niche point to make about this. But I, I, I'm all up for people getting invested, not necessarily clapping at the television, which which is also on the England fan hit list. But, but hearing people try and convince you that they have watched this team for the last 15 years is... Oh, yeah. Really painful, but yeah, it's um, it's it's a different match watching experience. It's it, it's one that I I do find hard to connect with, but I think my my, my major connection with international football is that if, if it means that I can go out with my, my mates on it and create a social environment and something that is obviously quite quite joyful to be part of from that point of view, then I'll get behind it. May England go yeah. to the final every tournament if it means that we we get to have the, the sort of fever pitch reaction that the country has has had over the last couple of weeks and I think from a from a TV viewing point of view I think it was 30 32 million people at one point were watching the game which is what half the country mm-hmm. uh, it, was, it was the most watched event in Britain since Princess Diana's funeral uh, I think that, that that just shows what an enormous event this was uh, I mean, Doug Boris Johnson did a press conference last year that sent us all into a lockdown where we couldn't see anyone, and more people watched that last night <laughs> than him announcing something like that. So yeah, it certainly um, it certainly gripped the nation. But I, I I like to think that the the overwhelming emotion from most people now is that this went far better than we ever thought it was going to, uh, and. Obviously, we've had a, a few more things to reflect on from yesterday in terms of, as you mentioned, Rob, the, the England fans and, and things that went on off the pitch. But yeah, it's um, certainly from a footballing point of view, it's 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 brought hope to people who have, have, have only ever known international misery. So, Kate, now that we've level set with comparing the game to Princess Di's funeral and Boris Johnson announcing COVID restrictions uh, for a year, wow! Uh, the f- I can't tell if Mark enjoyed it or not. I, I, I feel like I was on track to thinking that he loved it, and then no, I'm just kidding. No, like what Mark's talking about there, Kate, is something that I told him last week. I don't think Americans can really fully relate to just because. You know, we have obviously we have some successful national teams in certain sports, um, but we're we're kind of when it comes to national sports, like whether it's a World Cup. Uh, I mean, we've got the the best women's team in the world uh, in, in most of the time. Um, we uh, we have the best, usually the best men's basketball team. Like these are great, but 
we typically don't really get we're not following it constantly. It's like, oh, it's the Olympics are on tonight. All right, uh, let's check it out, you know. And then we get a little further and further. People might start to get into it a bit more, but over there, it's nothing like the kind of longer term, you know, consistent uh, fever that you guys seem to have and fervor for that. So, like, when that goal went in early on, did, I mean, did. I guess for you, did it just, it just was a feeling of joy, right? Like I, I, I guess I'm just so used to having conversations with you guys about Everton where every moment of joy is dissected into every potential, you know, aspect of misery that is forthcoming that I don't know that I, I, that's why I feel bad. Like, I, I think that for me, the detachment of being able to watch the euros as a complete neutral has been fun because I just wanted yeah. entertainment value and man, I got it. Uh, that game yesterday was, was great, but there've been a lot of great games. Yeah. And uh, I, I think for, for you, Kate was, were you able to, it's hard to ask this now because when you lose the game, you're you're always kind of left with that. But can you at least look back on this whole experience, uh, the ride that England went on and, and even the events of yesterday and take something good from it? Yeah, hundred um, percent. I'm I'm totally the eternal optimist, even like even when it comes to Everton, I don't need to mention the football focus thing again, but if you're willing to make statements on national television very early on in the state in the season as to how well you think your team are going to do, knowing fine well they're going to regurgitate it every <laughs> Saturday. Um, like, I mean, I get what Mark's saying. If I was if I was back in the main stand and by some hand of God glory we'd managed to score within the first three minutes. I know we'd be setting ourselves up for the most boringly defensive 90-odd minutes or whatever, 80-odd minutes. And it's just like, oh, I already know I'm going to get pins and needles in my ass in this wooden seat as it is. So, you know, I'm getting two hot dogs at halftime. That's the only way I'm getting through it. However, I must admit, I think for me, and I think it's probably from a media point of view more so, if I'm honest, in that... Um, I kept the Sunday papers yesterday because they captured that moment where everybody was so full of hope and that yeah. there was a chance we could we could do this. It's like nobody wanted to say it and we were all doing this or that on Instagram stories of who's going to win. It's going to be England or Italy. We're all, yeah, we're all pressing England the whole time. And that it captured that moment of hope. And I love stuff like that. And I know it's because of the industry that I work in, but I'd like to, I'd like to see how that's portrayed and how different that will be from the Sunday papers next week um, mm-hmm. and how that narrative has played out during the week as well with it being a Sunday a Sunday paper in particular although the beauty of that yesterday for me personally is that I was able to kind of other than shouting for Jordan like he was family um, is that for, for sure scoring early on the first thing after I jumped up and shouted at the telly was that if that's it he's made history and yeah. it will be his goal. And that was the, that was the only thing that kind of played over. Right, okay, well, but the other thing is, having watched the other games, I know that at every single opportunity, Raheem Sterling is going to be like lightning flying past at every mm. opportunity. So I knew that I could detach myself from the Everton narrative of, oh, Christ, this is going to be awful. Because we knew that there was quite literally everything to play for um, and, and that you could pick out most of the squad for their individual talents to just say, right, okay. I mean, like just watching some of the play. I mean, all right, afterwards when we were all a bit pissed off about it, it was absolutely incredible and it was it was an absolute joy to watch. Um, yeah, yeah. And I just think 
it is it has been about that journey this time I've tweeted about this a couple of times because I just happened to catch it but after Raheem Sterling um scored his first goal of the of the um of the tournament he was asked by a female interviewer afterwards when he's got like the you know the little headphones and stuff in she actually asked him do you feel like you've earned your place in the squad now and like he (laughs) looked at her right so he looked at her and he he raised his eyebrows for like a second as if to go are you shitting me right (laughs) but like composed himself and gave you know like a, a media trained answer if you like and it was coherent and it was concise and all the rest of it and I just thought, you know, it just shows his quality. And whilst everybody and the narrative has all been very much about they're a very young squad, you know, but Gareth Southgate has, Southgate has pushed the um, the um, the notion that they are very much a team. And like uh, amongst the Everton fans in particular, our fan base has been very vocal about the fact, what was the point in taking Dom? He's never going to get a game. The lad may as well be, he's going to miss this on pre-season, you know, because we're all the new manager, right? Yeah. But it was the fact that he's made comments about the fact that how difficult it's been to choose that squad and then how much of a, an impact the guys who aren't making that list have on the rest of the team. And I think that's been really, really important. And um, I, I just, I think it's been absolutely standout. And for me, the minute that goal went in, even I couldn't believe it. I was absolutely gobsmacked. It was a real pleasure it was a joy to not think this is going to be shit now and it was to think oh my god who's coming next you know what will happen next and we knew that they would push on and and they did I thought it was I thought it was brilliant the the change the change came when Italy scored and I thought personally even like the commentary it it just felt like everything nosedived from the minute that Italy scored well, and and Kate, I, I mean, I'm kind of struck as I'm listening to you right now and, and even listening to you, Mark, as, as you guys are describing this, that the relatively positive tone of this conversation, just because I think I half expected, um, you know, hungover Mark from a stag do to just be in a very dark place. But, you know, he's a pro. You're a pro, buddy. I appreciate it. Um, but no, like, in, in all seriousness, I think that and we talk about this all the time, right? Part of the reason that I, I love having our conversations on here is because while we are, for better or worse, a fixture um, as the Blue Room or, or the group of us, we are a fixture in on Twitter and in social media in general. Uh, it's really, in a lot of ways, the worst forum to have a nuanced conversation about a football team or about a sport or about the issues with with a team, right? I mean, as much as we love our quips, I mean, it, it's just it, that's the case. I think with England, you know, you got you're 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 pointing. I think you're looking at this for a forest for the trees kind of in a kind of way, right? Like that this is about a bigger picture, but it was also about just kind of enjoying the experience, and that's what sport is. Like it's it's a weird. I think you can say that you can do that whole like multiple things can be true at once kind of thing. Um, Italy, I think Italy were the better, better team, but I think it's also obvious that England absolutely could have won that yesterday and were incredibly close. And if a few decisions had been made differently, if another bounce had gone their way, I mean, but that's sport, right? Like, I think that that's the way it is. I mean, I think you can't argue anything but like to me it seems foolish to argue that like to spend too much of your energy in the post-match analysis today or the kind of the post-mortem of this whole thing to focus on all the ways that England failed even though yes they they lost the game there are reasons for that all those things can be true 
But I think this run represented a huge success story. At least as an outsider, I look at this and I think about my kind of bemusement at the anal- at, at how people give a shit about this England national team when they consistently underdeliver. And I'm just like, why do you guys? Why are y'all so into this? And yet this 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 tournament was the answer to that question. I feel like I get it. I get it a lot more now. Um, I think it's also true that Gareth Southgate, to the point Mark made before, and Mark, I'd love your your thoughts as we get, and this will this can maybe wrap up some of the, the talk on the England side of things, but I do want to talk about Southgate. Like I think that right now, the day after, there's always gonna be a big forum for the knee-jerk reaction. Um, but I think it's more nuanced than that. Like, I think that it's true that Gareth Southgate made, he got outmanaged yesterday. He made some poor decisions in terms of the subs that he made. Um, and frankly, just the one, the buttons that he pushed in the, in the form of those subs just didn't work. Sometimes you push those buttons and they work and sometimes they don't, but they just didn't work. Um, I think that if you want to be a critic of his overly conservative nature, given the quality of the attacking talent he's got in that squad, I think today is probably a fair day for you to say, well, when you play not to lose or when you play to win by very small margins, you also are susceptible or more susceptible to losing games like this. Like, I think that's all true. But I also think it's true that there is zero question in my mind, and I'm someone who earlier on in this tournament, I had my own critiques of Southgate and said, I think he plays a little conservative. I don't think this will amount to much. But hey, you know, I think that he could have done some things differently yesterday, but... He's proved. I mean, he proved a point to me. I don't think there's any question that I, I get now why they want him to be the, the national team manager uh, moving forward. And I also think it's it's important to recognize, and I think I'm starting to get this now as I watch more of these tournaments, that being a national team manager is a fundamentally different job than being a club manager. Um, yes, it's about tactics, but it's about so much else. It's about dealing with completely different types of pressure and so on. And I just came away from that yesterday thinking that, you know, even getting back to Jordan Pickford that, yeah, it sucks that they lost, but I'm just glad that Jordan Pickford threaded the needle in terms of he was able to not, to be the one that not what gave them a chance to win as opposed to being the reason that they lost. He can come back to Everton and and we can talk later about what is his future at Everton. I I I tend to think that this continued huge exposure he's getting. I, I think last night, if they'd won the thing, we'd be talking about transfer talk today. Yeah. Uh, I think that that is probably not as far, I think it's not as far off as some people think. Like I just yeah. think that I think that um, the best thing that can happen is for him to come this season and just have a great season forever. Because if if Jordan Pickford can play like this for a full season instead of a half season, then we're talking about Everton making Europe as, as far as I'm concerned. But anyway. All that said, Mark, you know, in terms of the manager yesterday, because I don't want to lose this, um, did Southgate, did, do you feel the same about Southgate as you did at the beginning of this? Or do you feel like he has in ways, in some ways, impressed you more or, or made you more of a believer? I think I'm in the camp of I wish he would do a few things different here and there. But ultimately, I think he's doing a really good job as the manager of, of, a, of a side that has this much pressure uh, that's part and parcel with having this job. Yeah, but- the, the first and, and strange thing I'd say about international management is that it's it's bizarre how 
high a pedestal you can be put on and how important these tournaments are to a massive amount of people when you haven't really done anything from a domestic point of view to actually earn that level of football and pedigree. And I think that, that's not only Southgate. I think I, of the managers in the Euros, I can only really think of Roberto Mancini, who has managed really at the top level uh, in in multiple domestic European leagues. And and you would say could could arguably throw his name in the hat for, for big Premier League jobs. And it's, it's strange, really, the... You mentioned, Rob, about this being totally different domestically and the, the challenge of carrying that level of expectation when, in reality, you, you haven't really done anything from a career point of view to, to earn that level of importance in the sport. And that, that that's not to downplay what he knows about football because the the tactical decisions that he made, in particular in the Germany game earlier in the tournament, I did not think that Gareth Southgate was capable of that because that that is probably one of the most <clears throat> excuse me that's one of the most tactically impressive managerial performances that I've seen from any manager never mind just internationally I think the the level of assurance he had to take that game to the hour and then safe in the knowledge that he could bring someone like a Grealish on to totally transform that game I I have no issue with him trying to replicate that again last night um, we, we go back to the the importance of scoring an early goal. Maybe that totally disrupts the whole game plan. Um, as much as you never turn down that that ability to to go ahead early in a game, it, it arguably does transform everything that you've worked on for the previous week in in most situations. But obviously, in the previous three or four days that Southgate had, um, and it, it, it's it's a massive challenge. And I think people. People forget that when he's picking lineups and squads, whereby he has an opportunity to see these players probably three or four times a season, uh, and w- what he sees and what those individual players can can bring and translate from their clubs to an international level. Maybe some players are just slightly more invested in that sense, and maybe they are capable of, of handling the level of media coverage and the level of pressure that comes with international football and, and in particular in England for just from a, a media point of view. But I think that people are very quick to jump on the Jaden Sancho is technically better than player X in the lineup. Why is he not playing? I think Gareth Southgate has to it, – it's, it's He wasn't transferred to United yet. That's why he didn't no. play. As soon as that deal went through, suddenly he was getting minutes like crazy. Absolutely. And you know that he'll be starting at the World Cup next year. But oh, 100%. I think – Gareth Southgate's job is 100%. It's more important for him to know the man than it is the footballer. And that's why Jordan Pickford will be England's number one goalkeeper for years to come if Gareth Southgate is there because he looks in the eyes and trusts that player. And it's the same with people like Kieran Trippier, who arguably people say should should really not have that much opportunity in the squad. Um, he, he I, I don't know if it's certain. He maybe looks at someone like a Ben Chilwell and just thinks, you know what, I, I have more confidence in a Luke Shaw or a Trippier. And, and that's Gareth Southgate's job is to very quickly ascertain whether an individual is capable of handling massive moments. And, and for so much of the time, it's, it's totally impossible to know. But just while we're on the, the subject of international football, Robin, First of all, you are you're you're a shit house for not bringing this up earlier. No, here we go. <laughs> Yeri Mina, Rob, he is yours. The great Yeri Mina. Yes, I'm aware. Of own him. him. Own him. 
<laughs> I own him. It's fine. Yes. No. <laughs> Uh, Yuri Mina, Yuri Mina in Colombia, uh, despite being, you know, despite having missing their best player, uh, and missing, um, their second best player during one of their quarterfinal matches finished third in Copa America. I was really impressed. Yuri Mina had a great tournament and he of course had some Yuri Mina moments <laughs> he scored that goal and did his dance. And then, and by the way, if you watch that game against Argentina in the shootout, I'll, I'll tell you that. We watched last night. We just watched that Jordan Pickford uh, sequence of of the pen the pen shootout, right? Like it was, it was fascinating watching that. And I watched the shootout between Colombia and Argentina, and Emilio Mar- uh, Emilio is Emilio Martinez, right? The, the the Villa keeper who's also the Argentina keeper. What well, that guy's awesome, by the way. I I don't think I I think I became an even bigger fan of his because. The difference between – I figured out the difference between the Euros and Copa America is that – and maybe this ha- – I don't know if this has anything to do with the crowd not being there, but I, th- I don't think it does because I think this is just how Latin culture is. It'll come as a shock to you that they were not afraid at all while the shootout was going on to talk shit and trash talk as much as they could to one another as they were, as they were uh, in the middle of this like – pressure filled thing right so like you know the the, the game before Yeri Mina scores uh and, and you know Colombia go through by the way Colombia has the odd bit where they have t- their two starting center halves as two of their first five pen takers which is crazy to me whereas Argentina have like name all the guys that cost a bunch of money in the transfer market <laughs> and Leonardo and Leo Messi all coming up but anyway Martin, Martinez, though, was just outright barking at Yeri Mina as he's coming up. And Yeri Mina just kind of had this smile on his face. Like, I don't think he knew that this was kind of, he's like, all right, you know, just. And the guy was just yelling at him. He's, uh, the guy, uh, Martinez, was just looking at Yeri and he's like, he's like, He's like, you're laughing, but you're scared right now. You're laughing at me right now, but I know, I know you're thinking about it. You're thinking about where you're going to put this ball. Like you could see him, just you could see the the exchange it's going on. This is this is just ashes. This is ashes cricket. Yeah. you know, yeah. kind of formula. And and I'll be damned. And look, Yerimina try he his the penalty he got that uh, in the previous round that that was was great and that he danced with. He basically tried to play that same ball again. And, and, uh, this time Martinez say, and Martinez say had like two or three saves. Like he, he had a Pickford like performance only he was much more demonstrative in terms of like, whereas I think Pickford was talking to himself at times, himself at times yesterday, there was just outright banner between the sides and just show, you know, dancing in people's faces and, you know, just like messy who I've always viewed as this sort of calm cool collected guy he he was screaming at Yerry Mina and the Colombian players too like it was a you got to understand that like the Copa America there are certain dynamics with those countries they really don't like each other when they play one another mm-hmm. but they also are a lot of them are teammates like you know I, I think that, the, that that's just kind of part of the game I got asked a bunch Mark uh after the day after like well god Rob how do you feel about the whole thing <laughs> with Yerry Mina and Messi I'm like I'm like, well, I, I, you know, of all the players at Everton who I don't worry about being able to brush something off the next day, like, Yeri Mina's that, like that guy. <laughs> like, he's fine. It's, it's, it's just you win some and you lose some. And to me, that was to get back to England. That's the nature of shootouts, guys. Like, when you get to a point where you have to take pens, 
It, it's it's I, it's so cliche to say it's a coin flip because I do think that, that takes away from the skill that someone like Jordan Pickford has or Emilio Martinez has at, at being a really good shot stopper in that exact type of scenario. But bigger picture, once you've made it there, anything can and will happen. And I think anything could have happened yesterday and England could have won the Euros yesterday. I thought, honestly, that once Jordan Pickford made that last save, I thought – they're going to win it. And then I couldn't believe, you know, and then we had what happened with the selections on the penalty side. I I didn't totally get, but at the same time, guys, I just, I walked away from both of those Uh, Columbia, who I was openly rooting for. uh, They finished, they ended up finishing third, but I'm just like, Hey, Yuri Mina's not injured. He didn't break anything or tear anything (laughs) as far as I can tell. That's all I care about. And, you know, it's kind of like what we talked about with uh, Calvert Lewin, like, I think it's going to be funny when Calvert Lewin now needs three weeks off from whatever he's been doing. Like he really should be coming back to Finch Farm tomorrow, as far as I'm concerned. But he maybe he needs like a week to to go to a beach somewhere. That's that's totally fine. But um, Pickford, of course, needs needs and deserves and has earned his rest. And anyway, I I walked away from this summer of these two tournaments, but specifically the Euros in particular, just being super impressed with how fun this sport can be in this format and in the summertime. Uh, I do think it's a bit of a crime that they are now all having to go straight back to their clubs and get ready for a season that starts yeah. in less than a month. I mean, it's just I, I don't know that they ever get enough meaningful rest um, unless you're maybe Andre Gomes. Maybe he does. You know, maybe a few <laughs> of them do. Uh, Shall try yeah. it. No, I love to. Hey, look, Andre, you know what? Andre has a new haircut and he looks faster and thinner he just because his hair is shorter. I don't know if he's actually lost weight. Or if he's faster, but he looks he looks like he's a little happier. He looked a little down last <laughs> season. So hopefully we get we get smiling Andre back. Um, I want to turn before we finish up, guy. I mean, you know, to get to the second half, or, or really, we won't go another full forty-five. I'm sure, <laughs> unless we do. Um, oh, let's talk about Everton. Uh, so, Mark, I don't know if you know this, but. Kate really likes to flaunt her connections to Everton Football Club and all the freebies she gets by wearing wow. them on camera. I mean, I you brought it. up the question. You brought up the question. I don't even want to get into what that means. <laughs> uh, you brought up the question on uh, Twitter, Mark, when I was announcing that we were going to be on to record tonight. You were like, you know, what, what's the percentage of, of, money, of my income that I would spend on the new Everton training gear? And, Kate, if I'm – unless I'm incorrect, you are wearing it right now. No one can – no one can see this. <laughs> I I wasn't sure about the color. It looks very Man City, but it is a nice looking kit, a nice looking training jacket, uh, or I, I don't know. You guys, yeah, yeah, look, it's beautiful, and I will tell you, I think it looks nice. But I will say to you guys, the fascination that these dudes have for training gear and apparently shorts with zippers and things <gasps> that to me I never think Damn. about. It's like a whole subculture discussion that I just sit back and watch because I don't think that I can meaningfully contribute to it. So, Kate, how do you like the new training gear? How, how does it feel to see Rafa Benitez walking around Finch Farm wearing that 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 zip up uh, and managing wow. Everton? That's such a mean question. Um, yeah, that's that's um, <laughs> that's probably going to take a little bit of getting used to. Still, I yeah. think. Um, yeah, 
it's um it's it's quite the change i'm genuinely sat i've just had some art before we started recording i'm genuinely sat with a whole heap of training gear from last year so from last season sat behind me which i know isn't making a good podcast because hey. you guys can't see it but i mean is in like I'll the navy hand me down, you can send me, send me, <laughs> if they've got any of uh yeri's old shirts just send them uh, oh. i'll put them on the wall and frame them you know oh. um <laughs> It's it's different. I'll say that much. So um, originally, um, you know, the way that we're so obsessed with like shorts with zips and stuff, and we know what's made out of kind of like true techs and we know what, you know, the different fabrics and things are. We know what we like and we know the fact that the badge peeled off last season. It's okay. very firmly embroidered on this time. I can let you know. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's but it's different. This this particular training top is a bit of a hark back to the eighties. In all fairness, and because you can't see what I'm wearing, this is the light blue, dark blue half zip, um, and um, it's very polyestery um, and a bit cheap feeling. I'm not going to lie, yeah. and I think the quality the quality of the kit last year is so is much better like echelons like way above but i think it it looks nice and the other thing that i'm not massively keen on for all of those who have completely indulged during the lockdown is that the bottom of it is elasticated so yeah. it's what's kind of like it's called what's kind of like blue on so that it basically folds over at the waist right or mm -hmm. not okay. if you can get it over your dad bod i'm so sorry that shot's fired oh. um yeah i'm not a dad uh, but i have a dad bod i'm sure so that's fine <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you had a rest of body. I've only ever seen your head and shoulders, Rob. So you're fine. Um, you should get. A I know that's why you think that's why you think I'm a hunk until you see well, the rest well, of me. Don't ruin it. Out the window at that point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's it's interesting. I'll say that much. Although to be fair, in previous years, a lot of like the jog the um, the training bottoms and stuff as well tend to be that kind of shiny, like 1980s tracky type material. Um, yeah, and yeah. there's lots of differences as well, isn't it? You know, with like wet tops and that type of stuff as well. But this particular training top that you'll have seen in loads of the like preseason against Accrington at the weekends etc um it's a bit it's a bit polyestery it's a bit cheap okay. and I'm scared about how well or not it might wash so have you tried on the new home shirt yet no <laughs> see I wonder if that if that carries over into the actual you know like the game shirts versus like yeah. tra training stuff is kind of meant to be you know it's, yeah exactly whatever. Yeah, I mean, last year, so the the, the kit um, that they travelled in, which is the black tracksuit top and bottom with the Hummel yeah. in white, right, with the chevrons mm -hmm. in white, that stuff is pure boyfriend jersey. It is absolutely to die for. If you can, mm -hmm. like, find any of those now that, that like, preseason and stuff has started on eBay or whatever, get some. The shorts are phenomenal. And they're kind of roll top as well. They're so comfy. Um, yeah. But, so, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm loving Hummel. Analysis. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I am. I'm loving Hummel. I just think that, yeah, the, the kind of, the light blue, dark blue that you'll see on the staff in preseason is a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit polyestery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Mark, is that killing your excitement for any of this stuff? Or <laughs> I, I only <laughs> deciphered about thirty percent of, of <laughs> what was good and not about about all of that. But like, like Kate could clearly do a dissertation on on this subject. Uh, you guys just are so invested in the kit that not not just the kit, like the kit is almost secondary to the training yeah. shorts. Uh, yes. Yeah. Which. Okay. Yeah. Sure. The the Everton home shirt is essentially just a blue t-shirt every year. Like yeah. I, I, 
I appreciate I like the pattern. I like the pattern this time, though. It's kind of cool. I like it. It's just a reminiscent of like migraine coming on from the corner of your eye, though, isn't it? If you look too close. But it, it's, 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 it's fitting then. Very fitting then. Yes. It's, it's not a template, which is what I think what we we all yeah. despise about people like Umbro and, and Nike and being the 175th most important thing on their agenda because it it, it does yeah. feel like Hummel are, are quite invested in this, but. I mean, show me a football club that deserves to have a training kit that is aesthetically pleasing, but the quality is actually dreadful. I mean, we we were born for that. We, we've got true. we've got we've got a wonderfully handsome squad, and they will be eternally rubbish. So I think that they, yeah, that's true. Very handsome squad. They can't play football at all. Yeah, <laughs> very very fine attention to detail from Hummel to be to be that personal with it, but yeah. I, the, the training good date that you take to a wedding, but you never really want to, you know, hang out yeah. with them again. I, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. The, the training gear is definitely a little bit more exciting when it, when it does come around, just because it's yeah. not the, the standard. You know, one will be blue, the other one will have a big yeah, yeah. Be amber or black or not, and then and then the third kit is when they just get on the hallucinogenics and just see what color comes out. But you mean like that goalkeeper kit that uh, I yeah. saw Jal Virginia in. I, I wish that was our honestly. I wish I like that better. I asked. Our, I would like. I would prefer that to be our away shirt as opposed <laughs> to that. Because all I can think now with that black with the is it with black or dark blue? Yeah, it's black. Sash, is it? A, it's a orange, red, reddish orange sash or whatever. <laughs> all I can think every time I see it is five five nil city. That's all I can think when oh, I see it. Right. Yeah. Until they win, we're wearing that thing. It's just going to feel that way, but. I love the Jal Virginia photo. First of all, you know, that guy's rolling into that traditional Everton hunkiness himself. I mean, he's probably never going to play for us (laughs) again, but he's like, wait, what's that? Pickford on international duty. I'll get on the (laughs) Sundays. I asked about the boots as well. We had, we had a bit of chat in the WhatsApp group, didn't we? About what boots he had on, about whether it would ruin the aesthetic, right? Because he had black gloves on and like, and it looked really good. And like, I think the general consensus was that we wanted black boots. Nobody could remember what boots he had on. No one. So <laughs> we'll never know. Okay, you know, you know why? Because <laughs> while whilst people like the nerds that I talk to in my WhatsApp group about Everton really are big into shoes, I don't know that when a bunch of random dudes are around each other that they ever look at each other's feet to like have that planted in their memory. Like I spent quality time with Matt Jones and Mark Mosey and Patty Boylan when I've been over there. I cannot tell you, I can't recall a thing they were wearing unless I have a photo of it. And even then I'm like, I'm still not sure. I totally see this clearly. I know he's wearing a jacket. All right. Pants. Yes. I asked. Nobody will know. Yeah. You'll just have to, you'll have to get someone to really look next time. And see but they should have been like that. a pair of old school Puma King or something, shouldn't they? They just should have been like yeah. proper like shit, but just black. That's fine. Yeah. And then it worked. Don't ruin yeah. the aesthetic. The kits are great, but there's always one piece of training gear which comes out and universally everyone on Twitter will say, that's the best thing we've brought out in years. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just sat at home thinking, I... I just, I am not a fashionable guy from a clothes sense, but I don't get what is going on with that t-shirt. And this year's entry is the black t-shirt with kind of like the the orange and white waves across it. I don't know if you've I seen it. I've seen that. 
So what, is that a training shirt or a... What they've done here, Kate, is they've given a child a black T-shirt <laughs> and played in their tree and two paintbrushes and said, can, can you simultaneously write your name on this shirt right. in white and orange? Uh, and they've had a really good time. I, I just cannot get behind it. But I think that uh, we'll all agree that, that the first day of the new season is definitely when you see the team in the new year in a, in a behind closed doors friendly. Kate's got the picture of the. Uh, I know what you mean. I can't. Kate, put it right up to the camera. I want to yeah. see it. One more I can't time. articulate it, you know. I mean, who. Is that not the goalkeeper kid I was just talking about? Or am no, I not Everton, no, it's Everton away pre match. Someone's been paid oh. to do that, Rob. So someone's actually been paid to design that. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I'm told that it's lovely, but yeah, the, the, the first day of the new season is when you see James Rodriguez pull off a smouldering look over the shoulder <laughs> in a, a behind-closed-doors friendly with the new gear on in, in the sun. That, I mean, nothing gets me ready for a new season than that, but... Yeah, oh, I was going to say, you were going to talk about James Rodriguez as if he's going to be here at game one, but yeah. I mean, that's, I, I'm always, just kidding. He's 30 he's now, he's old, no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> till you're 40. Uh, yeah, yes, it was Jerry yeah. Mina's birthday this week as well, wasn't it? Earlier this week? Yes. How old is Jerry Mina? Jerry Mina is uh, 27. 27, right? Prime of life. Do you know every fact about that guy? What's his inside leg measurement? Right? I don't. I don't know his birthday. I just know that he was twenty six. <laughs> so if he just had a birthday, he's twenty seven. When Yerry Mina missed that penalty, I no, 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 no. His birthday's not till September, Kate. Is See, I just looked it up. I no, no. It been his birthday this week for some reason. I'm sorry, I'll shut up. No, it was been his Rodriguez. Well. The thing we did learn after, so part of his whole dance was he did the whole Luca Dean thumb thing. He's his uh, Mrs. Mina is pregnant. They're having their first kid. That's so cute. How like <laughs> can we talk lockdown. about how lucky that kid is to have Yerry Mina as his dad? Lockdown, I mean, my dad, baby. Yerry Mina is fifteen years younger than me, and I wish he was my dad. It's weird, you know. I mean, that's awesome. Um, but no, Mark, I don't know everything without Googling. I, I don't really commit that kind of stuff. As much as I love him, I don't really know that every factoid about him. I, I guarantee that all of our listeners, when he missed that penalty, were like, oh, fuck, Rob. Rob. <laughs> Has anyone Did checked you know, Rob? I, that's, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this. If he, misses it for, if he misses it for Everton, I certainly it certainly stings in a different way. than Because Columbia, it's sort of like, you know, it's Copa America. I, I mean, Copa America is cool. But at the end of the day, it's like it's it's, it's yeah. him playing for Colombia. I I'm I'm more concerned about what he does. Here. If I took anything away from it, it's that he should be taking pens for us. Get, fuck Gilfie Sigurdsson. I want I want Yerry Mina taking our pens from yeah. now on. So, um, Kate, guys, before, can we, I know the tra- the training gear talk. Like I feel like we're gonna have to have Kate back on to share her ten thousand word article on on Everton <laughs> training gear over the years. But <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about Everton in general because I did tease this on Twitter earlier, and I I posted about a month ago. I believe it was, I did a little, what I thought was a, a somewhat informative public service kind of uh, a Twitter thread about, you know, kind of welcoming people who have not been in the Everton fold over the years. Maybe they're new fans to the Premier League or for some reason they've chose Everton. I'm very sorry for whoever led them down that dark path, but I made the joke that, you know, it was about the transfer window. And I said, um, you know, I actually posted this at the end of May and I said, look, 
the window opens on June 9th, but we're, don't worry. We're not even going to be concretely linked to a player until at least a month after that. Well, we are a month and three days past that, guys. And despite some really interesting, comically weird website names like 90men.com and, you know, name your sport witness, uh, sport witness source or, um, a new, uh, you know, new ITKs that have suddenly emerged from the from the rubble of the esque over the last few years. Like, we really don't have any actual link. Like, I think Denzel Dumfries, the the right back from Netherlands, is probably the closest thing that anyone can call one. Just because I think there's been a passing reference to him and the Echo, maybe. But I mean, look, credit to Marcel Brands or Everton or whatever. They have at least they've either convinced half of us that Everton are just really good at keeping shit under the under their hat, or they're doing nothing at all, and uh, it's time to panic. Look, I won't lie, guys. I and I've probably been saying this for years, but like we're really going to start another season with Seamus Coleman starting at right back, aren't we? It's going to happen, and I just it's sad, and it's not because I hate Seamus Coleman, but my God. He's, he's basic, you know, if you think 30, he, you just said Hamas Rodriguez just turned 30, so no one cares. Well, Seamus Coleman's like 33 or five, like, I don't know, but he feels like he's a thousand to me at this point. And I'm older than he is. And I've been watching him since I feel like he was 19 or whenever he came over. I mean, he's been here forever. I just surely what, like, and you can't say other sides haven't been signing players. And don't tell me that the reason we haven't signed anyone is because, oh, all our targets are going to come from the Euros. Sure, we're not we're not getting a bunch of those players either. We might get one or two. We're not getting like a ton of those. So, uh, Kate, are you are you are you have you even had time to worry about whether or not we're going to sign anyone, or is the Euros just completely occupied your heads? The Euros slash the kit training kit releases have these things completely sapped your brain power uh, to not worry about Everton's signing players? Uh, are we at a moment of a little bit of I don't want to say panic, but a little I'm a little angsty. I'm a little angsty. How do you feel? No, I'm absolutely fine. I think there are much bigger things at play this year. Rafa's literally just got in. There's been so much chat about the fact that he's carried out a full squad audit before he even got in there and met the squad. It's like, all right, stop. I want to see this alleged audit I keep hearing. I know. About, you know? Is and it, it's like, what format is it in? Is it like a spreadsheet? I mean, is it, uh, you know, is it, uh, you know, Google? Is it in a Google Doc format? Does he maybe, use Dropbox? Yeah. Like, the corporate nerd in me that wonders about these. Things. Yeah. He's definitely got a mug with I love spreadsheets written on it, I reckon. Um, No, I'm not. I'm not worried. I think it's a a pivotal moment for the team um, and for the wider club. um, And I'm I'm 100 percent so done with absolutely anybody whatsoever on Twitter that isn't Marcel Brand who thinks they know exactly what Marcel Brand is up to and who he's talking to and what flight he's got on and the fact that he's been spotted in Holland or here or there or all over the place. You know, him being him given the freedom to get on and, and do his job, whether it's behind the scenes or whether it's in full view, you know, when we're, we're welcoming new players is, is great. And I think that's maybe something that we've, we've struggled with um, in, in more recent times. And, you know, there was chat about him and, and um, Ancelotti, maybe not seeing eye to eye when it came to things like that. Although, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And looking back now and thinking that actually Ancelotti, it was just, a, it was a babysitting job. Um, and at no point during all of that time that I was like, 
like, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, just, you know, we've just got to trust, we've got to crack on. Did I ever stop to think about where Ancelotti was, like, in, in his career, in his trajectory, and what was going to come next for him? And, like, I was totally blindsided by, you know, of all of that, in that he was here and he chose Everton and he's going to give it a go and it's going to be amazing. And at no point did I think that he was like, oh, okay, so I can earn a bit of cash out of this while I just waste some time until the job comes up that I actually want. So I'm yeah. conscious of the fact that whilst Rafa wasn't my first choice at all, nobody gives a shit about what I think. Um, and he's in now and he will make it work. And I think with a, you know, a career that he's had and connections that he's had, etc., will come the right the right signings at the right time. Um, mm. And I think had we have not had a new manager in, I'd maybe li- little be a little bit more antsy in terms of like, okay, can we make something happen? Anything at all? Because the thought of us starting yet another season with the same squad and yeah, hoping some kind of miracle fills me with dread. But it's not... It's not to that point, Kate. It's not really about Seamus Coleman. It's just about the. <laughs> I, I'm using him as my as yeah. my punching bag for this this as a larger. Uh, he's a microcosm of the issue of are we really going to start yeah. with this collection of players again? And, and Mark, I'm I'm with Kate. Kate says something important that that I, I think fits the tone that you and I have kind of gotten to as well, which is that I'm I'm. I'm I'm kind of over the whole debating Rafa Benitez. Like he's the manager now, and I'm at the very least uh, I can very persuasively argue that Rafa Benitez has more motivation to perform here than a guy who had accomplished everything and done so relatively recently. Whereas there's just a lot of open talk about Rafa not having it anymore, not having you know not having his fastball anymore, and I think he he clearly there's no more like more defiant you know defiant move to make than to come to Everton of all places and, and say that I want to, I want to change people's minds here. But I, I, I do, I think where I, I think where I'm at is, and I'm trying, you know, I've been around this, this for a while now and following the transfer game and all of that. It's just, it's not that they haven't signed anyone per se. A lot of people say, well, you know, this time last season, they, you know, they signed uh, Allen and Decore and Hamas in short order, you know, like, two weeks before the season. Fine. But we'd also had links to those guys I, I pretty consistently for a few weeks before that. And so mm. I, it just, I don't know what to make. And we talk about this all the time, Mark, like this is not a, a club or an organization as a whole that, that views uh, you know, that really likes to share much. And I don't think that you have to share much when it comes to your strategic goals and mm. around recruitment, you need to keep those things quiet for a variety of reasons. But I feel like something would have slipped out by now, but I think, I guess, I guess I'm just being put in a position where I'm being told, Rob, you should just have faith that they're doing the right things. And yet I would say, what record do they have over the last five years (laughs) that suggests that I should have faith in them at all? And so I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, I get it. Like, I don't think Marcel Brands is only sitting at home picking out like monochromatic outfits uh, for himself, <laughs> uh, which she looks stunning in, by the short way. But yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, short sleeve turtleneck that's black. I got that. Yeah, I get it. You know, he's, he's into that. But, but I, I just, I'm a little concerned because Kate, you make a point about, well, this will happen in time and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, the season starts in a month. And so I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, you know, a little nervous just because I know how long it takes Everton to, 
decide what uh, you know what type what stock paper they're going to use for the printer, much less finding <laughs> players. So I, you know, Mark, uh, Mark, you're generally more relaxed than I am about pretty much everything. Uh, what do you make of the lack of not only and by the way, not only lack of links, but but really, uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot on the outgoing front either. We're yeah. we're calling the bluff, and we're bringing Moise Keane back to French Farm, which I never thought would happen. And James Rodriguez showed up the day he was the day everyone else did, and and is flashing that megawatt smile and signing autographs for kids. And do you see a scenario where those guys might even be around? Like, I think Hamas is. There's a better chance he's around this season longer than Moise Keane. Like, I don't think Moise Keane. I still don't think Moise Keane plays for us this season. But how are you feeling about everything, Mark? Tell me how you're feeling about Everton transfer mania. Well, first of all, now that we've mentioned both the new training gear and Rafael Benitez, I think it's fair to make the point that it looked like Yadar had won a raffle to spend the day at Finch Farm this week. Uh, Kate Kate said it's an image that she'll not be able to get used to it is in my mind an image that I will never forget Uh, are you talking about Rafa in the training gear? mate it it was not the best advert for the large baseball cap baseball cap made it worse it's like he thought he's like you know what this this baseball cap will make this better and no it just made it way worse a light coloured windbreaker is just no I'm just used to him falling out of bed wearing a shirt tie, sweater over the shirt and tie, and then a jacket. And so this is very (laughs) odd to me. (laughs) To press on to far less important issues like the playing staff. Um, Yeah, 33 days to the new season is slightly ominous. Um, Ironically, with with the the tongue-in-cheek chat about Seamus Coleman, I think right back is probably the one position that I'm I'm fairly comfortable that we will sort something out with. Um, I think... I'm sure there are other I said those same words two two years ago and last year. And you guys think that it'll just happen and then it never does. And then and then I guarantee a week before the season, everyone's gonna be like, you know, Seamus was okay last season. I think we can do he can he can do a job. If I hear anyone say do a job this season with Seamus Coleman, I'm gonna fucking lose my mind. All right. No, fucking lose it. So anyway. Laura, I'm telling you now, Laura's gonna be building an arc or something. She's gonna be on her way for you, honestly. It's not about Seamus Coleman. He's a nice enough fella. He's very fertile. He has lots of children. He's done a lot for the community. Good for him. He is. You know when you do Everton right top back. Trump, so they're going to put fertility on it next as well, and everyone yeah. having knocking kids out left, right, and centre. Yeah, Amazing. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Is up there yeah. now and all fertility. Yeah, Yuri's only got the one on the way. He's got a lot of catching up to do. But I have faith in well. All right, go ahead, Mark. But Sorry. It, it, it probably is the one that I, I know, Rob. You mentioned about hearing noises and. I think it, it, the cut 22 is that for so long that we've said that we just want Everton to quietly go about good business. But you, you're right. At this stage in preseason, you you need something to hang your hat on. Um, you need something to hang your big crest Everton cap on. Um, and so I think that the the, the links with Dumfries and, and with Max Ahrens, I, I'm, I'm fairly confident that we will get one of them and or someone of a, an equal ability in Marcel Brands' mind. So there, there will be incomings. And I, I appreciate your point, Robin, that Everton are not going to go out and sign five players who played at the Euros or the Copa America. But I think if you go a bit more big picture and, and, and take into the mind the, the transfer attitude of clubs globally, uh, and in particular in Europe on the back of the Euros, a lot of them are just sitting and waiting to see how their players are when they come home, what happens with and so many of these things are built on a cascade, aren't they? You'll you'll see someone like 
Harry Kane move and an enormous chain of transfers will follow in the, in the two weeks after that. But the, the, the reason that I'm fairly chilled about it at the moment is that everyone is on pause. There's no one really who's going out and, and leaving everyone behind. Um, Aston Villa made a couple of early moves in the window and unfortunately from a comparative right. team point of view we, we do have to look at them and, and say well if they're going out and signing someone like an, an Emi Buendia from Norwich who I think would improve most yeah. teams in this league then we, we do have to be mindful of, of falling behind the curve but I think it's it's always difficult in, in tournament years knowing when to make your first move and, and knowing when I mean, at the moment, on, what, a day after the Euros is finished, I think it's very wise of most directors of football and most football clubs to just leave it alone for for a week. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Marcel Brands isn't doing that. And Christ, the amount of time that the fella has apparently spent self-isolating this summer from, <laughs> from Holland on, on numerous scouting trips. I, I hope he signs someone because otherwise his, his summer has been wasted. But yeah, I, I think it's... It, it's just the nature of not only a, a standard tournament season, but I think knowing that you've got another tournament 18 months down the line means that a lot of players will be happy at this particular junction to sit and wait for yeah. maybe the January window. And I think in terms of chaotic transfer windows, next summer when players have got six months to, to panic rush in some good form before a Christmas World Cup, that's when you're going to see a lot of players try and manufacture some form of excitement yeah. for themselves. But yeah, Moise yeah. Keane's a really interesting one. Uh, I think that the, the question that everyone needed answering on him was, are we going to let a major European club come and bully us and take him on loan for another season? And I think whatever happens with him, I mean, I would love to see him bang 15 goals in for Everton as a kind of oh, yeah. there in the first team fold, but primarily as a backup to Calvert-Lewin. Um, he's not going to get 15 goals doing that. He himself is not going to be happy doing that. And if it means a permanent move away and Everton get money back for what has essentially been a failed sign, and then I think everyone would be on board with that. But what, what we can't do is just waste any more of our or his time. Uh, and low moves will ultimately do that. But yeah, and, and there's going to be there's going to be a lot of late movement. Um, disappointingly, from an, a, a general Everton point of view, I think it's going to be a lot of very much the same old. Um, and I think that, that this isn't aimed at Rafael Benitez personally. It's it's the nature of getting any new manager in is that they are unfortunately just going to have to learn the lessons that so many of us have seen previous managers learn and ultimately to their detriment. And I think that's the that's the tedious nature of bringing anyone new in, isn't it? It's just, I appreciate that he's done a lot of homework and, and the advantage of someone like Benitez is that you expect him to have a good resting knowledge of the Premier League and of Everton's players, but... Right. For all of these managers, there's going to be one con man in that squad who convinces them that he's worthy of another couple of years. Um, we all know the guy. Um, <laughs> but Gilfie Sigerson will be taking this team out on the back <laughs> with one band on. Uh, and that, that, that's, that's the price of being pretty bad 
He's got a baby to feed as well. You know what I mean, Mark? I mean, the Everton crash is definitely... (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, if if they could all just be dead good at footy, I think I'd be be happy with that as well. If they're at, like, say that... So, you know, for argument's sake, so say, we, you know, we start the new season. As as we are, there's no no major signing, you know, and, and it's very much business as usual. How many more managers do we bring in with the same team? And so we accept the fact that it's not the manager being bereft of magic tricks that's the issue. Right. Uh, well, okay, we talked that, you know, it's you bring that up and I, you know, okay, I don't know how much you of of our how many of our conversations on Kickabout you've heard this summer, but I think we both well, thank you. That's great. Um I but we I've made the point, I mean, we I think we in general, and I've made this point with anyone who will listen on the blue room, of course, but I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think that this idea that this romantic notion people have that it's like finding the one, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like a soulmate, that's not what a manager is. And really there's like, there's, there's more than one person who can do this job. It's, but it's, but they can only succeed at this job if they have the, the right resources. And, and, you know, it's tr- like, I, I have a, I have a, you know, relatively, which I would never bore you guys with, but I have a, I have a nice niche nondescript job um, that I like and it works fine because I work at a place that has good resources and good people and blah, 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 blah. I like to think I'm good at my job, but if you took me and put me into a dysfunctional organization, I'm not going to succeed there either. Like I think any manager comes in Everton has to be given real time, but to your point about Carlo Ancelotti before Kate, and I've I've definitely this this sounds bitter, but it's just true. Like Carlo Ancelotti, the more we've learned over the last few months, I mean, the guy showed up every day and was like, his plan was, well, I'm Carlo Ancelotti, so this will all just kind of work out. Like, I think that that's uh, it's not that that he doesn't know. I mean, he he's forgotten more about football than any of us, but it's going to take someone who is competent who has motivation, yeah. but also at the end of the day has the right players. And I, I've got to hope I, I, we all know it's not realistic to quote, get rid of them all. Uh, it's not <laughs> realistic to expect, uh, you know, six, seven, eight new incoming players either. Mm-hmm. But what is reasonable to expect is that we finally, after years of teasing it, um, you know, we replace, we replace, we, we get a starting caliber 30 plus league game a season right back. Um, because to me, you're going to get, you know, to, you know, if Laura's still listening, Hey Laura, it's, it's what I've said before. If Seamus Coleman is your captain and he's an influence in that dressing room and he is making strategic appearances off the bench or starting, starting a game here or there, like that's the value of Seamus Coleman sure. at this stage of his career. That is just a, that is about age, you know. When Richarlison is thirty five years old, I won't want him playing for me yet, you know. Either, you know, I mean, like that's that's just how it is. Um, but I, I do expect for Everton, like Everton, don't have these really mysterious gaps in their squad. Everyone watching that team knows exactly what is needed. We need a right back. We need a right sided attacking player. And for the love of God, I don't care what anyone says hoping that Allen and Decore and Hamas will just somehow bounce back and not be injured this season is a ridiculous plan. We need another midfielder yeah. of quality who can actually retain the ball and pass the ball and not, not crap it every time they go out there. So 
to me, you know, this these weird notions that we're trying to get another center half. My God, I don't know how many of them we could have. I mean, we've got our we've got our goalkeeping situation solved. I think our defense overall is fine, barring right back. Just just solve the the basic things and allow if if Everton can be boringly competent again. They can finish sixth or seventh. It's not that's the thing is Everton, it's a crime Everton didn't finish in a European spot. Like the more the more you will think about it, as much as you can deride the quality of this of this side, when you are second in the table on Boxing Day, you should finish in a European spot, given especially given those those fixtures that we had. So I'm hopeful that Rafa Benitez at the very minimum is able to come in and just make this group boringly competent against the types of sides that they ought to be beating at home. I'd like to think that having a home crowd will help again. But Everton have to I think all this talk of Everton getting into Champions League or getting into like just have a good have two good seasons in a row. Have you know have a building block of a season, but like we we just we, we've been mid table mid table for a while and people get mad that you know like mad at, at saying like I I've asserted that we ought to earn some of these expectations instead of just having them, but people are like, no, we're Everton. I'm like, well, yeah, well, what is Everton right now? Everton's mid table. And so that stuff's gotta change. Hopefully it does. Um yeah, I, I don't know, guys. I'm not gonna freak out too much um quite yet, but Give me another week, y'all. I swear, I wake up every morning before I've had my coffee and I look at Twitter to see finally that uh, Joyce is going to come out with something or, you know, someone's going to say, oh, you know, Everton are in talks with the right back. And until that happens, uh, until that happens, we're going to be right here having the same conversation. The one one bizarre point from a playing stuff point of view, did anyone else see Gabamon kick a ball the other day? In the, behind I've seen yes. stills. I haven't seen any video footage. I, I saw that sweet assist he had for uh, Anthony Gordon's yeah, yeah. goal in nice. that, uh, that training clip. Look, good man. Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it, I mean, I, it's like I'm afraid to even say it because if I yeah. say it too loud, he's gonna he's gonna sprain his ankle. <laughs> God, <laughs> he's got a paper cut. God damn it! <laughs> you talk to like, and, and and again, I'm sure I talk to some definite Everton weirdos who who are in more in who who talk to people who know things and blah blah blah. But they all say that when Gabamin is actually fit, believe me, it did happen before he came to Everton. He was fit all the time. <laughs> that he's you know he's a pretty good player. He's a big dude. Like I think that was the thing that was surprising. There was a photo. I don't know if you guys saw it. There was some random photo of Gabamin right next to Holgate. And I said to someone in one of the group chats, I'm like, if you didn't know anything about Everton, which one of these is a center half and which one of these is a midfielder? (laughs) Because Mason Holgate is the tiny, I'm convinced is the tiniest center half that's ever played in the English Premier League since the year 1990. I am convinced that must be true, even if it's maybe technically not, but Gabon is a, is a unit, man. I'd love to see him, you know, be halfway decent. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's the other midfield piece that Uh finally gets solved if he can play, but you know, I, I think we'll probably have to stick to the gallows humor about him being being dead until he actually plays. He's going to play thirty five games this season, and we're going to win the lot. And and that that is yeah, absolutely man. not jumping the gun. And do you know what, Rob? You can quote that 
in May because. <laughs> <laughs> hey, would there be a more inspirational comeback story? Like they ought to make a movie, a movie about Gabaman if he somehow comes back and plays 35 games and like scores the winner uh, at Anfield or something crazy like that. I would be, that'd be pretty awesome. But uh, yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I think that's just about where we'll leave it guys. It's been an hour and 20. I think that was pretty good. Um, Kate, um, I wanted to ask you before we leave, because this is something we haven't been able to do when it's just Mark and I, because Mark doesn't seem to have any pop culture interests at all um, that I can discern. Other than drinking, he does like drinking, so I'll give him that. Uh, that and, like uh, district pop. <laughs> Ma- Mark, I'm just messing with you, dude. I'm, I'm only – the Tory jokes are just because Patty refuses to come onto, onto this podcast anymore. Tory accusatory banter. Kate, I wanted to ask you, have you watched anything recently that I absolutely need to check out? Because I've got, I definitely have one. Now, granted, I know you have a lot of things going on, but uh, I feel like I've I've uh, definitely got one for you. Right. Okay. I feel as if I might have weighed in on Mark a bit, a bit prematurely now after what I'm about to tell you. Um, is that, so my, I've, well, not me personally, but the, my two youngest kids have, both broken bones for the first time in their lives within two weeks of each other this month mm. right i've spent a lot of time at the local children's hospital um until stupid o'clock in the morning and it's kitted out for yeah. kids it's absolutely phenomenal i'm talking about older hay for people local who know it it's incredible it's not massively yeah. kitted out for parents and tiny tiny seats etc um so i finally give it in Right. How dare they not accommodate you with more comfortable seating? Yes. I don't know who I am. Um, they're phenomenal. Thank don't you, you know so who much. I am? I know, sorry. I'm Kate Riley-Jane. Orthopedics, old hey, you guys are absolute heroes. Thank you so much. Um, and also for getting me a charger, because I've given in to Mike Diasher, who has finally bullied me long and hard enough to watch Mad Men for the first time. Yes. yes. <laughs> I appreciate Art- it aired in like 2007 or something. <laughs> Uh, yeah, later, yeah, later 2000s and into the second. Right. So do you, how far into it are you? Oh my God, I've just finished the first season. It's absolutely phenomenal. I, like, I keep randomly messaging Mike on Instagram going, oh my God, I love Roger Sterling. Oh my God, he's had a heart attack. <laughs> he's like, I'm just, I'm living for these updates. This is amazing. He's like, you're 15 years or whatever behind everyone else. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, okay, started- you, you need to include me on that group text because I got, Excellent. I am, I am. I'm the Obi-Wan Kenobi to uh, Mikey Ash's <laughs> Luke Skywalker when it comes to Mad Men. So, I'm obsessed. Uh, yes. So yeah. I absolutely oh, love it. Phenomenal. Um, I've watched something also equally. I've been watching. I'm in the process of watching a um, – it's kind of – it's a very nuanced story arc. It's very peak artistic quality viewing um, you got, I'm probably giving it away, but I've been watching the fast and furious movies and <laughs> I will tell you guys that I spent a lot of years saying that 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 looks ridiculous. <laughs> that looks, uh, that looks very, uh, I don't know, kind of douchebaggy and slightly, uh, it's th- that I can smell the Dracar Noir off of that film, you know, just <laughs> seeing the trailer or whatever. I was so wrong guys. Like, once you drop your pretense about how you only consume really high quality, high art, blah, 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 and you just strap in for the ride. And let me tell you guys right now, I am now four in. I've got, I've watched Fast and the Furious. I've watched Too Fast, Too Furious. I've watched Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, oh, which nice. takes place out of the timeline. So don't even get me started on that. And then I've watched 
Fast and Furious. They take the the off, but that's Fast and Furious 4. They should have just called it F4, but they didn't. It's just Fast and Furious. <laughs> Fast and Furious was awesome. Tokyo Drift is awesome. Too Fast, Too Furious was the worst of them. And the original one's really good. But the bottom line is, is like if you are into a world where large groups of random young people meet up for street racing in the best clothes, the best Saturday night out on the town clothing that you've ever seen. And you like the idea of walking into clubs with lots of drinks that are neon tinted. And there are usually three women in a corner just making out for no reason whatsoever. Let me tell you, that is the aesthetic and the tone of Fast and the Furious, not to mention the car chases. Like, there was literally a scene, and I'm not spoiling anything, I promise, but there was literally a scene in one of the penultimate like race, uh, you know, race scenes at the end where these two cars are going about 200 miles an hour next to each other. And one of the dudes just decides after his, his, his uh, door falls off, he will hurdle himself midair, mind you, from one car to the other through the guy's window to punch him out and get control of the other car. He did all this at 200 miles an hour. Now, if that to, if that if that is not what makes filmmaking special, if that is not what life and humanity is about, then I don't know what is, guys. So I will. I'm currently. This is my wife started this. We are watching all the Fast and Furious fa Fast Five tonight, which I'm told is fantastic. I can't wait. Uh, that is where uh, The Rock makes his first appearance in oh, the series. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. American treasure, the rock, Dwayne, the rock Johnson. He makes his first appearance, dude. We're watching all these so that we can go to the theater and watch F nine fast and furious nine, uh, as it should be watched in Dolby surround, IMAX, high quality, whatever, paying 10, 10 bucks for a tin of popcorn type type setting. I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. So if you've never watched fast and the furious, you must. And if you have watched it, uh, I, I, I will tell you guys, those of you who've been interacting with me on Twitter and telling me how great it is and to keep watching and whatever, you're absolutely right. I was wrong. I should have watched it before now. Um, you know, Dom's my hero. Family, family, family. All I'm right, just, that's I'm, it. I'm, I'm genuinely blown away. One, because first of all, up until you mentioned like the, the high-powered cars, you pretty much described Essex. It's just that they've got like their mum's <laughs> mobility cars rather than like, you know, Lambos, Bentleys, whatever. Um, oh. So that sounds awesome. I'm in for the neon and the chick's face, face snogging, whatever. What was I trying to say there? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm in for that. That's all right. As you know, Kate, like as someone who I've had very, and I mean this sincerely, as someone who I've had very intelligent conversations with about uh, gender politics and and and, and feminist ideals and things that you and I both, you know, are on the same page on. Fast and the Furious is interesting in that the female characters who are part of, who are you know, the, like the main characters in the movie, they're all incredibly smart, they're incredibly resilient, tough, clever, great fucking drivers, all of yeah. that. And then the other women don't talk at all. They are in the bar just drinking and wearing very little Hello, clothing pretty. and making out. But you know what? Like that's part of the <laughs> part of the the enigma that is Fast and the Furious, and you just have to sort of embrace it for the magic that it really is. You so, can tell. Yeah. I think if you can describe it without getting out of breath, and if you can say things like "You've just got to buckle up for the ride" in your accent, oh. I, I can I can feel how invested you are. So I'm going to watch it. I've never Buckle watched a Fast the and the Furious film <laughs> at any no. point, so I'm going to do it now. You've convinced no. me. I know that you probably don't catch too much UK TV, Rob, um, but it would... You mean the telly? No. 
it would be callous of me not to mention um, a really popular series over here that I think, knowing you, you'd really get involved with um, because it's on at the moment. Um, it's full of action, uh, suspense, uh, dramatic twists, and Love rogue, Island. Uh, and no spoilers, Rob, but Love Island is right up your I knew it. Tonight. It was Love Island. I knew it. You know <laughs> what? So here's the deal. They have Love Island over here. They have an American version oh, really? of Love Island. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I imagine is pretty much the exact same premise. But, like, I can watch all of the Love Island UK. Like, I can binge watch those here, too. I think I'd rather watch the UK version than the American version of, of Love so Island, personally. I, I, am, I am in no way shocked by any of this. No, it's really like, <laughs> Kate, there's something magical about like bad reality, bad reality television done well. There's like, nothing reality. It's done poorly. Don't look. You're you're getting wrapped up. There, there's nothing realistic about Fast and the Furious or you know <laughs> Mad Men to that. To that, you know. <laughs> I mean, look. Don't worry about those things. Like, it's just something about. Just something about like hot, sexy people, uh, you know, getting into their dramatic shit. That's just great to get time. That's what our WhatsApp groups for. What you want about? <laughs> you yeah, want well, yeah. <laughs> but the funny, you know what the funny thing is, is that in our WhatsApp group, it's the women who are the most overtly and aggressively sexist in the it's entire so group. Thirsty, it's not aren't the dudes, believe it or not. Y'all are thirsty. Crazy. <laughs> On that note, uh, on, on that thirsty as fuck note, uh, I think we're going to uh, – there, we got an episode title. I think Matt, Matt will love that episode title, Thirsty AF. Buckle up for the um, ride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this you said been, it like the voiceover uh, man from the cinema. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> Guys, it's been a blast as always. Thanks to Kate Riley James. Thanks to Mark Mosey. Uh, we will see. I know like last time we said we'll see you next week and then we skipped a week because Mark was uh, not feeling well. And, and really because the Euros were going on and what was the point, right? But I promise we will be back next week, uh, hopefully to talk about a borderline fringe right back rumor of some kind and or uh, anything else we feel like talking about. But uh, for Kate and Mark, I'm Rob. We'll see you guys next time for more Kickabout. Take care. Not running your business on NetSuite is like trying to sink a putt with a cap pulled over your eyes. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one cloud financial system, giving you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, budgeting, and more all in one place. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 31,000 businesses already use NetSuite. This summer, NetSuite has a special financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com go. netsuite.com go. Sports Social Podcast Network.